invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 9. We'll be reading uh, those verses following through verse 25. You'll find that on page 916 in the Pew Bible, if you're using a Pew Bible. Today we're going to look at Jesus continuing to work, uh, and he's expanding his kingdom from Jerusalem out into the countryside of Judea, all the way into Samaria. Last week we studied how it was actually persecution of the church there in Jerusalem against the Christians that caused the gospel to spread from Jerusalem and into Judea and even to the Samaritans, which was, of course, a people group who were despised by the Jews. Samaritans and Jews did not associate with one another at all, but Jesus breaks down the barriers between Jew, Gentile, and Samaritan and he brings them into the church of Christ, all united as one person, one man. And they all experience the joy of salvation. And now we pick up the reading with the account of a man named Simon. Simon, who was a magician. Now, don't think that he was like a magician that you see at a, uh, you know, the, you might see it doing card tricks at a child's party or, or uh, one of those uh, illusionists that you see on TV. Uh, who makes the Empire State Building disappear or something like that. Uh, this magician that we're encountering today is more along the lines of what we would think of as a sorcerer, uh, a person whose power comes from evil spirits. That's what Simon was all about. And so we pick up the reading of God's Word here in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word and write its truth upon our hearts this morning. Well, in the midst of all the good news and joy experienced by the Samaritans, 
we find this sobering account of Simon the Magician. It is particularly sobering because even though most people do not practice sorcery like Simon, many people today do make the same mistake as Simon made. They treat Christianity as a form of magic. And that really is the theme I want to address today. The thinking about magic and the type of magic in which Simon was engaged, uh, magic in antiquity was practiced by both pagan and Jewish people with the goals of healing diseases, bringing physical blessings, uh, removing curses uh, or cursing or otherwise harming others, uh, guarding against demons and so forth. Magicians also claim to uh, foretell the future. Uh, in ancient literature, uh, discovered magical books, they indicate that magic often involved some special incantations that would invoke magical names of deities and demons. Uh, it involved potions and the use of magical objects such as amulets, incantation bowls, or figurines. I guess we can, so close to New Orleans, we can think about voodoo and sticking pins in the doll uh, if you don't like somebody. We understand this concept of magic. It still goes on today around us. Uh, even today, people have a, a magical mindset, if you will. If you say the right incantation, you can heal diseases. If you wear the amulet or you carry the rabbit's foot, in your pocket, uh, you will have good fortune. If you share this message on Facebook a hundred times with your friends, you'll certainly be blessed and have good luck. Or you'll win $500 or something like that. Or if you have a problem, drink a potion. Some of you will remember the, the song from the 50s, late 50s, Love Potion Number 9. I took my troubles down to Madame Rue. You know that gypsy with the gold-capped tooth? She got a pad down on 34th and Vine selling little bottles of Love Potion Number 9. I told her that I was a flop with chicks. I've been that way since 1956. She looked at my palm and she made a magic sign. She said, what you need is Love Potion Number 9. Well, in the song, the poor guy ends up kissing a policeman and has his bottle of Love Potion broken. It didn't work out very well for him. And this song is comical. Uh, but what Simon was involved in was not amusing. He was a person who believed in magic. He was steeped in it. Uh, he saw life through the lens of magic. It was actually his identity. You'll see there, as he did magic in the city, uh, verse 9, he came saying that he himself was somebody great, and he had all these spells and, and this power that he could use. Uh, he was all about the power that magic gave him. And people responded to that. His magic was probably assisted by demonic powers and uh, therefore he was able to amaze the people to the point that verse 10 tells us they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And that's quite a statement. They're almost attributing deity to him. Apparently he was a much better ma uh, magician than Madame Rue with the gold-capped tooth. Uh, he could really amaze people with his tricks and with his deeds. But Philip comes along, one of the first uh, deacons, if you will. Uh, he comes and he preaches in the city of Samaria. 
And he proclaims to them the Christ. If you back up into verses 5 through 7, you'll see it there. And the crowds with one accord paid attention. And they were paying attention or taking heed of what Simon was doing and saying. But now they turn their attention to Philip, especially when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many were, who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And verse 12 records the results of Philip's work. When they believed Philip, as he had preached good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So there was a great response to Philip's preaching and the signs that accompanied uh, his preaching. But then we have the really sobering verse, verse 13. It tells us there that even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now you may be wondering, well, why is that a sobering verse? That sounds like a great verse. I mean, it tells us that Simon believed and was baptized, so why is that a negative thing or a sad thing? Well, John Piper gives an excellent illustration of Simon's error. He says this, Suppose you have a one-year-old child sitting on your lap and suddenly in the window there is a beautiful bird and you hold out your hand to, the point, to point at the bird and you say, look, look at the bird. And then the child looks at your hand and the sign that you're making. And uh, he even tries to imitate the sign by pointing out his index finger and he sees the sign. He's excited because you're excited and he joins in imitating the sign as best he can but the problem is he never looks at the bird. He's just looking at your finger and the sign that you're making. The whole point of the sign is missed. And that's what happened to Simon the magician here in Acts 8. He saw the signs that Philip was doing. They were better than his own magical signs. He got excited about those signs. He followed Philip around and he wanted to imitate them. But he never saw the bird in the window. He never saw the ugliness of his own sin and the need for repentance and the glory of Christ in the gospel who forgives and makes new and clean. Simon was one of those people who had non-saving faith. We know this because of what happens in verse 18. He gets a severe rebuke. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So you see there, uh, he thinks that Christianity is like magic. He wants the power for himself so that he can be someone great again. So just like he might buy the ingredients for a potion or buy an amulet or rabbit's foot at the magic store, he thinks he can pay to have the power of Jesus at his disposal. So he's really, he's really no different than he was before, uh, but his power has been taken away from him or paled in comparison to the power that Philip has put on display, and now he wants the greater power at his disposal so he can be a better magician. And Peter rebukes him. And the rebuke is even more telling about his lack of true faith. Peter says to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And if you uh, read, it, read it in Greek, it's even a stronger rebuke because he basically says, You and your money be damned. Because that's the word that's used there. 
Abaddon, it means destruction. Uh, he says that Simon has no part in this matter. His heart is not right before God and he needs to repent. Verse 23 is very telling. He says, I see, Peter tells him, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And the word gall is the same word for bile, of course a secretion of the liver, uh, kind of disgusting. But what he's saying is there is that uh, you know bitterness is seeping out of you. Your actions are, are showing bitterness. Perhaps he's bitter at the loss of his power and position with the people of Samaria. And he goes on and says he's in the bond of iniquity, and that word bond is used for chains or handcuffs or a, a cable that would hold a ship to the dock. Simon is in uh, the chains or the grip of iniquity. His sin has uh, him around the neck. He's chained to it. He was not a true believer. Even though the text tells us that he believed and was baptized. There are other texts that we can look at in the New Testament that communicate the same type of sentiment. John 2, 23-25 tells us here that uh, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast... Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew these people's heart, even though it says that they believed. They weren't true believers. If you remember the parable of the soils that Jesus talked about, the sower sowing the seed on the on the hard ground and the stony ground and the thorny ground and then the good ground and uh, the four different types. The second type, uh, it says this about it in Luke and in Mark as well. Uh, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Only one of those uh, soils actually produces what would be called a, a believer. And it was not the rocky soil. First uh, Corinthians 15, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You can believe in vain. Uh, James talks about faith without works. That's dead faith. It's not a real faith, a faith that doesn't change you. And we see... Simon has not changed. He's basically the same. He's just using Christianity to do the same thing he was doing before. Matthew 7. R.C. Sproul says this is the scariest verse in all of Scripture. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That Lord, Lord is a term of endearment. Uh, in Hebrew, when you repeat a word twice, uh, especially a name of someone, it means you love them dearly. So that's what makes this such a scary verse. So Simon was not a true believer. Well, where did Simon go wrong? Well, he saw Christianity as something he could add to his existing life in order to make it better by becoming more powerful. He was just trying to make the existing life he had better. When he saw the power of Christ exhibited by Philip, he was amazed, and he desired it for himself. He saw himself as someone great until someone with greater power came along. He just wanted to add what Philip had to his repertoire 
so he could be someone great again. He wanted himself to be empowered. There was no repentance, no real recognition of sin, no change of life. He was continuing along the same magical trajectory, only he was using Christianity as a way to continue to travel along that trajectory. But the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, includes a call to repent. That's what Peter tells him to do. To recognize that you are a rebellious enemy of Christ. But Christ has graciously provided a sacrifice on the cross to buy pardon for rebellious sinners such as we are. We must lay down our arms and bow the knee to Him as our new Lord. He is God. You are not. You're recognizing that in repentance. And if you are truly repentant, you live for Him and you serve Him. You stop serving yourself and your own desires, your own, your own way that you think your life should go. He becomes the Lord. He becomes your commander-in-chief, the one who tells you what to do. Simon never got this. He was just using Jesus to increase his own power and autonomy. He wanted to be his own Lord and someone come in and help him to do that better. And he was using Christianity to achieve that end. Be careful, my friends, that you are not using Jesus for your own ends. That's not real faith. Many people today think that Christianity is simply a way to have a better life. They believe in God, they go to church, they live moral lives, and they think that by following this formula, God will be obligated to give them a happy and successful life as they have defined it. This is not the gospel. It's the same as uh, magic. A person who believes this is simply cooking a potion of good works and religious exercises that is supposed to guarantee blessing from God. You can call it Love Potion 316 if you want. Well, how do you know if this is you? Well, uh, how do you react when your life does not go as you planned? Do you get angry at God? Do you say, oh God, I'm a good person and I go to church and I do this and that and the other. Why did you allow this to happen to me? See, in this scenario, you're, you followed the formula, but the formula is not working. Or do you think to yourself, my life is not going like I want it to go. I need to ramp up my involvement in church so God will bless me. See, in this scenario, you realize you haven't been following the formula, or perhaps you missed a step of the formula, so you'll try it again with some modifications. You're trying to manipulate God, and that's what magic is all about. Ask yourself this, have I ever repented, not just of your sin, but your supposed righteousness as well? Have you ever recognized the totality of your sin and rebellion before God? Have you ever acknowledged to yourself and to the Lord that even your righteousness is like filthy rags, that you come to Him with nothing in your hands? You have nothing to offer. All you have is your sin. 
Have you ever come to Christ and surrendered all to Him and said, You are the Lord. You are my Lord. Laid down your arms, your rebellion, given up all your plans and dreams to the Lord and said, Lord, you take them and you tell me what you would have me do. That is a, that is indicative of true repentance and faith. John Calvin had a motto. He may have gotten this from Augustine. I'm not 100% sure. sure. But on the, the seal uh, that you often see connected with Calvin, it says, My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. See, Calvin says, I, I give you my heart. And when he says heart, he means uh, my, myself. Uh, everything that I am, I give to you promptly, without delay, and I give it to you sincerely. Have you ever done that? Have you ever offered your heart to the Lord promptly and sincerely? Well, after Peter tells Simon to repent, Simon does not repent. He only says, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. That doesn't sound like too bad of a prayer, but when you really think about it, what is he actually asking Peter to do? He's just saying, Peter, I don't want these bad things to happen to me. Help me out here. Use your power, Peter, to ensure that these curses do not fall on me. There's no repentance there. There's just an avoiding of the consequences of his sin. He just wants Peter to use his power, his magic. He's still thinking in the magic frame of mind. Peter say the words, say the formula, so that I will not have this curse fall upon me. So there's no true repentance there. And in fact, tradition says, and it's a pretty strong tradition, uh, it says that Simon went on to be what one commentary described as a proto-heretic, maybe even the father of Gnosticism. There's some connection there. One of the first heretics ever. So Simon's... Uh, Simon's life does not seem to have a happy or Christian ending. It's a sad, sobering story indeed, especially as you think of this one who, uh, of whom it was said he believed and was baptized. He united publicly to the church, but he wasn't truly repentant. Well, may God grant each one of us true repentance and a real faith. Let's pray together.